When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. I used to think that this was my town. What a stupid thing to think. I hear you biting off a brain now. I myself am on the brain. I used to want to be a real man. I don't know what that even means. Now I just want you in my arms again. And we can search each other's dreams. What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, host of this here podcast, Three Swings. It's a podcast about baseball, but also other things. I probably should have been saying it the rhyming way this whole time. Didn't think about it until just now. Big week in baseball. World Series. Holy shit. You know? Uh, Astros overcome the Yankees in uh, startling fashion, I would say. Um, I honestly can't remember if we covered it because this show usually goes up on a Friday and the Astros clinched over the weekend. Um it was a bullpen game, right? Uh, and then we get the uh, dueling garbage closers. Uh, we get Osuna coming in with a one-run lead, and he um, blows the save. Something you're not supposed to do as a closer. Blows the save on a DJ LeMayhew home run. Let me just say how much and how happy I am for DJ LeMayhew. Not a huge Yankees fan in general. I've talked about it a lot. Can't really do it. However, and also like the the Chapman of it all makes it pretty difficult. Um, I said something about Chapman once on the internet and a baseball person that I follow was like, well, everybody's got a scumbag. Really? Also, is that really the way you want to just be okay with things being that everybody's got a scumbag? Also, could we like raise the bar on what a scumbag is? I would love for like the scumbag on my team to just, I don't know, swear, swear too much or something fine with that level of scumbag like oh this guy's kind of a ornery shit um but could we maybe have the scumbag not beat the shit out of other people or threaten it um and then uh osuna blows the save and we'll get into that we'll get into this game a little bit more a little bit later obviously um and then chapman comes in walks uh who does he put on springer yes and then uh leaves a slider a hanging slider for 84 miles an hour 87 miles an hour for jose altuve to put it into the seats 
to send him back to the World Series and then has probably one of the creepiest smiles I've ever seen in my life. Um, also, like, he just looked like the Grinch before the Grinch's heart got three times bigger. Um, and I, I don't know if that dude's heart is ever going to get three times bigger, especially if he doesn't have to take responsibility for what he did. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad that Chapman's not going to be in another World Series, you know? Wasn't excited to see him in the other one. So glad he's not making it, but Osuna is in the World Series. Um, so let's uh, let's take a quick break so that we can uh, do some ads for the folks who help us keep the show going. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about the first two games of the World Series and maybe a little bit more. We're back. What great ad reads. I appreciate the people that listen to these, and I appreciate the people who use the codes to buy the things because it helps keep this podcast going. So thank you very much for buying sheets and toothbrushes. These are things we all need, truly. Uh, So let's get into it. World Series, games one and two. After entering the World Series as one of the most lopsided favorites in recent history... The Astros find themselves down 0-2 to the Nationals. That's the Washington Nationals, by the way. Despite home field advantage and despite starting aces Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander in the first two games. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander are the first two pitchers in the top tier of pitching. I forget all the data points. Um, I love bench coach Brett. He doesn't have those in here for me, but it's a stat that I've been seeing. They've never lost back-to-back during the season. Garrett Cole hasn't lost since May 22nd, and the Astros haven't lost when Garrett Cole has started since July. <laughs> so, like, what? You know, uh, they're essentially one and two in the American League Cy Young voting, depending on who you like more, is the first and second. Um, Cole leading in strikeouts. And Justin Verlander putting and, and leading in wins too, but like they're the top two pitchers of the league, and they've never never has any have two pitchers with the, those regular season performances lost back to back in a World Series. And uh, Garrett Cole didn't obviously didn't have his best stuff, but he was still pretty much untouchable when he didn't have his best stuff against the Yankees. But here's the thing, and I was thinking about this last night going into Game Three which I'll hopefully remember to get back to when it's closer to game three. These two teams haven't seen each other very much. And I feel obviously in the fact that they've won the first two games on the road in Houston, it benefits the nationals who are playing a much looser game. They're just going like, we just got to win today. They're not looking at like, well, here's who we're going to play this day. And here's who we're going to put out this day. And this is what's going to happen. And these are the sequences and like, they're just playing each pitch, basically. And that has been highly effective against two pitchers that come in with a big story ahead of them that I think that in the regular season they were playing against teams that got caught up in the story. Many people disagree with me on these kinds of things, and that's okay. Also, there's something to be said about the American League being incredibly top-heavy um, and the National League not being top-heavy. Like, even the the worst teams in the National League are better than the worst teams in the American League, which is not something that I like to admit to, but it's just kind of true. 
in terms of like talent and day-to-day games. So the Nationals have had to play more better teams more often. And the Astros are just a juggernaut plowing through like essentially mediocre teams most of the time. I mean, who have they been playing in the what in the Western Division? The Angels, the A's, the Rangers. And who am I forgetting? Astros, Angels, A's, Rangers, and then there's one more. Why do I always forget the last one? California. Oh, well. I don't know. I don't know who it is. Uh, I'm sorry to those of you who are screaming at me in the other room. Um, so let's run down game one. The Nationals win 5-4. to four. Uh, The win goes to Max Scherzer, who really threw a lot of pitches. Uh, And the loss goes to Garrett Cole. Like I said, again, it was his first loss since May 22nd. He had a season. I drafted him and Strasburg. Like, how is that even possible? I drafted the two, the, the best pitchers in each league. And I still, I had like one of the worst fantasy baseball seasons. I just like, I had no one else. And I didn't trust either of them. And I almost got rid of both of them. And that they're the only reason I won any games. And the save goes to friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle. Um, 20-year-old Juan Soto knocked in three of the five Nationals runs with a home run in the fourth and a two-run double in the fifth. Now, I know I, I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter. For those of you who don't, I like to call the two-run double or, you know, two-RBI double the working-class hit. Soto became the fourth youngest player in MLB history to homer in the World Series behind Andrew Jones, Miguel Cabrera, and Mickey Mantle. Don't know if you've heard of that last one, but he's pretty famous for baseball. Uh, George Springer also entered the World Series record books by homering in his fifth straight World Series game going back to the 2017 series. But let's not um, look past George Springer too quickly and give him a pass because... There is a case to be made for George Springer costing them the game um, in, I forget what inning it is, late innings, they're they're down 5-4 still, or they're down 5-3. Kyle Tucker is on second base, and he hits what looks to be a home run to, like, right center field, and Adam Eaton is going back, and Adam Eaton gets a little confused on where the fence is. And George Springer, instead of hustling it out, pulls a sort of Acuna, a a, a, a Manny, if you will. Why am I? I can't think of Manny's last name. Whatever. These are the things that happen when you do podcasts all the time. And is like hopping sideways down the first baseline as if like, I did it. I did it. Or just like, it's going, right? It's going. And Kyle Tucker, who is essentially a rookie, he played last year a bit, but like this is essentially his first season in the big leagues, and he's also on the 25-man roster for the World Series, so he's a rookie as far as I'm concerned. He, for some odd reason, stays tagged up on this play and uh, stays at second base and does end up making it home, but George Springer uses it as the excuse for why he only got a double, and like it really is just inexcusable. Um to not make it to third base on that because then they got out. Like they, they didn't tie the game and um, he was stranded on base. And I think it's a different, you have different momentum 
in an at-bat if your runner's on third as opposed to second. But, like, there's just no excuse for somebody not running that out because, like, you just don't know. I mean, you would have been out. So who cares if you you just don't pass up Tucker and he wouldn't have. You know, there would be a point where Tucker would get past him. They also held Michael Brantley at third and there's almost some uh, third base coach interfering. So, like... The Astros just look, they don't look like the Astros in the way that they used to. Like, they just don't have, I mean, they still have that, like, swagger, but they don't have their, like, baseline, like, we've got this. Like, there's some, there's some stuff that's creaking open. And I I have some thoughts on why that is, and many people disagree with me, but whatever. Um, I think uh, Alvarez struck out with the bases loaded. You know, they're just, like, they're leaving a lot of guys on base and they're not moving the runners over. Um, for Garrett Cole, this was the first time he had registered a loss since May, racking up 19 wins in 25 starts since then, which is nuts. 19 and 0. Max Scherzer also didn't have his best stuff, gave up five hits, three walks, and two earned runs across five innings, but he also managed to get out of a couple jams as the Astros left 11 runners on base in the game compared to the Nats. Four. That is a tremendous ratio. 11 runners on base. So they take that first game and like Houston is, I think, pretty shocked. So they're thinking, okay, well, they beat our best pitcher. It was the best scenario for the Astros to win with Garrett Cole on rest coming in to the World Series. Um, And... <laughs> he didn't win. (laughs) Like, I think they just thought like, oh, we got Cole on the mound, we'll win. And it didn't work out because they're playing a team that has never played them before and that they've never played before. Um, The Nationals win game two, a resounding 12 to three. You might think that that game, that a game that is uh, 12 to three is not a fun game to watch, but holy shit, was this a fun game to watch? I really thoroughly enjoyed it it was really exciting you got a pitcher's duel and you got a ton of offense I think I said Strasburg will go four scoreless I just didn't think it would not be consecutive <laughs> like in the first what what a game where they tie it up in the first inning. and it was such an intense game that I really did not think that was the first inning that the Astros put those runs up like I thought that was the third so silly me you know but it was such an intense game, it felt like so much time had already gone by that I was like, holy shit, that was the first inning. Uh, a tie game was broken open in the seventh inning. Also, uh, the Astros hit a two, like, Jose Altuve tried to steal third and Kurt Suzuki picked him off. Kurt Suzuki, I think, was five for 50 in the regular season for pickoff attempts, but he's one for one in the World Series. <laughs> And that was just like a silly, I mean, I know Altuve's fast and I know that he can steal and like, sure, okay. But um, it seemed like a silly move to me right there to, at least on the first pitch like that, Suzuki was like ready for it and he gave one of those signs. I don't know if we've talked about it on here, but um, it's really wild to me that they, that's also, uh, okay, (laughs) If you watch the pitch that Strasburg throws to Suzuki, Suzuki gives him a sign, I'm going to throw over with his glove. Like, he flips his glove down, and Strasburg throws 
to Suzuki in a way that he can step out to th- make the throw to third. And it's a perfect throw. And he gets Altuve out by a mile. And uh, then uh, I forget exactly the sequence of how they tie it up, but they get somebody on base and then hit a home run. And then um, the Nationals hit two solo home runs. I believe it was Zimmerman and Juan Soto, right? So then that tie game was broken up in the seventh inning when the Nats put six runs on the board, followed by another three in the eighth. I would also say, like, Trey Turner made some stunning defensive plays to prevent the game from, like, blowing wide open. There was a stop that he made and did not get an out, but they would have gotten runs across had he not stopped it. And, like, it just... They just are playing really smart baseball, (laughs) like, in a way that... And he made that... uh, Whose screaming ground ball was that? George Springer? I mean, that thing was screaming, and he just, like, spun around on it. And, oh, God, there's just some great defense in this game. (laughs) And Adam Eaton had a sacrifice bunt, a single, and a home run. Like, what a line. What a great line. After the game in the exit interview, Adam Eaton uh, was talking to somebody saying, I don't know, man, we just manufacture runs, and it made me feel like a kid again. (laughs) But the Kurt Suzuki home run really broke it open. So he he did something defensively, and then the next the the next was it throwing him out at the, no that was the first inning, um, and then he hit a homer like almost right off the Halliburton sign. And props to the person who happened to be a guy. Props to the guy who caught that ball on the carom from behind him. It was flying back over his head into the field, and he stuck his hands out and caught it. It was a hell of a catch. Hell of a catch. Go back and watch that if you haven't seen it yet, because it's a heck of a snag, you know? But the, there was something about the Astros that they just seemed kind of defeated in a way that was weird. Um, but it all started with the Kurt Suzuki home run. The Nats catcher was hitting .043 in the postseason up to that point, but that was a no doubter. He got a pitch and he did something with it. He also hits like 349 against Justin Verlander. I love these. I mean, he's been around. The dude is 35, I think. Like, he's my age. <laughs> I'm older than that guy. It's funny because you're like, oh, I'm older than Juan Soto by like a lot. But then you see somebody like Kurt Suzuki and you're like, I'm older than that guy? Like, I'm older than Justin Verlander. And also, I apologize to Astros fans, but like Verlander go- golfs with Trump. I'm sorry. I got to remind you of that. Um, a lot of Astros fans left, which was an interesting... I I mean, I watched people pour out of the NLDS game in Los Angeles, and I get it. I totally get it. But the World Series feels like something different, you know? But, hey, that's just me, and also do what you got to do. But, like, people really left that game. All the, But the people that stayed were still into it because somebody hit a home run. I don't even remember who it was in, like, the ninth. <laughs> and it was like, they're within nine. <laughs> um so he was hitting .043 in the postseason up to that point and continued with a throwback sequence of infield hits and slow rolling singles courtesy of Howie Kendrick, Asdrubal Cabrera, and Ryan Zimmerman. There was even a sacrifice bunt from Adam Eaton thrown in for good measure, which has become a national specialty this postseason and season. Adam Eaton has just been doing that. And, like, I saw a headline of an article in the Washington Post, which I couldn't read because I am i don't pay for it, Um they were saying the Nationals have been bunting their way through this postseason. They should stop. And even Joe Batten yesterday said in his post, uh, his uh, press conference about taking the managerial position in, at the Angels. And I got to say, 
whatever your feelings are on that guy, I recommend watching that whole thing if you can find it somewhere on the internet because he said a lot of good shit. And look, I just love listening to people. I just love listening to baseball people talk, like talk about anything. He knows the details of every flight he took when he was playing, when he was a player, all these guys' names, all these... I love the minutia of all this stuff. And he said some really positive things. He said, we're going to bunt this year. And people laughed in a way that was like, please, God, don't let us bunt. But like, it's it works. And there's a reason people did it for a hundred years. You know, I love that the Nationals are playing this game of baseball, like actual baseball. What's in front of you? What's happening right now? Not what did we study last week to project into this week that's going to happen? And I'm just really enjoying it. And to be totally honest, I've been converted to this. And we'll get into that. Um, but perhaps the most crucial moment in the series changing in the series changing uh, in the seventh inning was when Astros manager AJ Hinch decided to walk Juan Soto to load the bases. Dodger fans know will will feel some deja vu here. Um, this is the first time all season that the Astros had issued an intentional walk. They have never issued an intentional walk. Now, this is the sort of um, belief in themselves that they have. They've never, in their pitching staff, never issued a single walk, intentional walk. Uh, Howie Kendrick followed Soto and laced an infield single off of Alex Bregman's glove. Bregman made some uncharacteristic errors despite hitting a an absolute no-doubt home run. That's who hit the home run in the first inning. Sorry, everybody. Um to left field and everybody's like he's back and like his bat might be back but something happened with his glove because I've never seen Bregman make those kind of mistakes but the ball was screaming around the infield too so I mean I don't I'm not like throwing Bregman in the trash or anything like that but um and also I got some insider info that apparently Alex Bregman is uh pretty left like in his belief systems, I don't know the definition of it. You could take that the way you want to, but even if it's at this point moderate Democrat, I'll take it because baseball is incredibly conservative. So whatever. Um, and this loss dropped vers- Justin Verlander to zero and five all time in the World Series, the first pitcher in history to lose his first five series starts. Now this is a guy who everybody is like he's a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. Do I disagree? Not necessarily. His regular season performances, he has, what, three no-hitters now? Um, He's high up there on the strikeout list. I mean, he has a career to speak of, you know? He's 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 a guy. He's a guy. Like, yeah, sure, okay. But then you look at that and you go, huh, that's funny. 0-5 in the World Series? And he's still a shoo-in. Golf with Trump. So these are my thoughts moving into game three, which is happening tonight, which I'm really, really excited for. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited for Washington, D.C. to have their first game since the 40s, because uh, while I understand that everybody's... Look, if the Negro Leagues had had a championship called the World Series... Then it was a World Series, and if we're going to spend all this time now making sure that we're being inclusive and keeping everybody involved in everything, and uh, if we want to pay respect to the Negro Leagues for what they were and what they continue to be, they still exist and they're part of history, then I think it would be more respectful to say that it, uh, 
It's the first World Series game since I think it was 1944. I think that's just respe- that's respect because the teams were segregated then. The teams are not segregated now. So if you want to, if you want to take, if you want to desegregate the past in a way without erasing one thing and absorbing it into something else, then you should. I think the media, sports journalists, should make sure that when they're saying this sort of like historical fact, then they should be referencing the most recent World Series game, which I believe was in 1944, with the Homestead Grays in Washington, the Washington Homestead Grays. You should be, because the Negro Leagues are now sort of historically considered to be part of the MLB in, like, spirit, so then you should be bringing it up. And I'm not, this is not like, I'm not trying to, it's just the literal facts of history. It's not like I'm trying to burn anything down. It's like, it's right there. It's history, so... I just want everybody that listens to this podcast to know I'm aware of it. You're probably aware of it. And let's all just keep that in mind. Homestead Grace. Um, I'm excited about this game. I'm excited about this city to finally... Because they've been so close so many times in the past couple years that it's just exciting for them to get to have it. And they're doing such a great job. I mean, it's just such... I feel like... uh, and I know this is very lopsided, and I, I apologize, but I, I it just is the way that it is. Um, this is not a podcast that's supposed to be like ESPN. I'm I'm allowed to... The whole thing is about having a heart. I feel like a, they're like the Portland Mavericks or something. The Washington Nationals have an average age of 31. There's like old guys playing. They're having fun doing it. And it's not like egotistical fun either. They're like singing a children's song in the dugout to each other they have like a tiny little thing safety like a little shark safety pin to the net and they're doing like macarena dances and they're hugging each other and like literally loving each other it's really wonderful to watch especially given that we have something happening on the sort of other side of the field that i'm sure if you're a baseball fan or you're paying attention to the world series you saw and i'll get to that in a second i just think the you know, sure, it seems to me the Astros, like, what I've been seeing, they don't seem to feel any pressure, even though, like, they're down 0-2. And the next three games are in Washington. The Astros are a good road team. I mean, they, they took some from the Dodgers here. So, I don't... But I, I don't know if they realize what's going on, necessarily. Um, and... The Nationals are playing, are, are going up against Zach Greinke, and Anibal Sanchez is throwing against the Astros. I think the Nationals have the advantage in this game because they have seen Greinke before. That is, I think, an advantage that they had in the previous two games. The Astros have never faced Strasburg or Scherzer, not not to any far extent, and that's also the the case for the Astros or I mean for the Nationals, but Nationals hitters have faced Zach Greinke at, in Arizona and in the dot in LA. So that they have like an understanding of his pitching style. They know what's coming in a way that the Astros maybe don't with Anibal Sanchez. And then they have a bullpen game after that. And then, or they go to Cole to try to keep them in it. If they lose tonight, I just think like, yeah, the advantage has shifted pretty hard 
And I don't think that on this podcast that I said, oh, the Astros are going to sweep it. I think I was very aware of like, well, the Astros are the Astros, but the Nationals are playing great baseball. I mean, they beat a 106-win team, and now they've taken two wins on the road at home from a 107-win team. Everyone who's considered to just like, they were just going to sweep in four games. Um, and it's been pretty exciting to watch. So I don't know. I think I'm I'm really excited about tonight. I think it's going to be pretty awesome. And I'm happy for all of the sports announcers that are going to get to talk about Juan Soto finally drinking a beer. Because holy shit, they have talked about the fact that he can't drink every day, all day long. It's been pretty wild. <clears throat> so let's talk about the thing that you probably think I'm going to talk about. Um, Brandon Taubman. So this past Monday, Sports Illustrated reported that following the Astros' elimination of the New York Yankees in the ALCS, uh, that would be Saturday night, um, Houston Astros assistant GM Brandon Taubman yelled repeatedly toward a group of reporters, uh, three reporters who happened to be women, um, in the team's clubhouse, thank God we got Osuna, I'm so fucking glad we got Osuna. Uh, this was in reference to the Astros' acquisition last year of relief pitcher Roberto Asuna, who had just come off of a 75-game suspension for domestic violence. I believe he was in the suspension when they picked him up. Uh, his suspension was one of the longest ever given out under the policy. Now, the policy was implemented in 2015, which was part of the collective bargaining bargaining agreement between the Players' Union and the MLB. Um, and essentially what happens... And specifically, I'll just use this example. Um, Osuna was arrested. Charges were filed um, that he reportedly hit his girlfriend, who is also the mother of his child. He has a three-year-old child with... They have a three-year-old child together. Um, He's also the mother of... She's also the mother of that child. He hit her and allegedly threw her down a set of stairs. Um, so pretty serious, pretty serious shit. Not, um, not ambiguous to throw someone down a set of stairs. Um, and the charges were subsequently dropped because she, the girlfriend, refused to testify and fled to her home of Mexico. This was in Toronto, in Canada. So he was arrested in Canada and she refused to testify and she left and went back home to Mexico. Um, and then the charges were dropped. He paid a $500 peace bond and, and walked away. Neither of these things, uh, prove that he was guilty and neither of these things prove that he was innocent either. I will say, however, that the MLB conducts its own investigation of every single instance of domestic violence, whether charges are filed, dropped, whether that goes to court trial, whatever, they investigate no matter what. And they investigated this and they gave him a 75 game suspension. And I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, most of the other suspensions were 15 games, five games. It's not a lot, but I will say these suspensions have been doled out quite a bit in the four years that this policy has existed. And I think that in and of itself is enough for the MLB to go Maybe we needed to be doing a little bit more than paying lip service to domestic violence. Perhaps we need to be bringing some outside help into this. Perhaps. Um, and so because this guy was on a 75-game suspension and this this alleged incident was floating around him, 
nobody wanted to touch this guy. And so Brendan Taubman is a sort of Wall Street venture capitalist style moneyball guy. And he goes, it's a basement deal. Let's get this guy. Let's get this guy. And he pushed to get the guy. And now you could say, oh, everybody else in the organization is a saint and this guy's just a piece of shit. Well, a bunch of people had to agree with him and a bunch of people had to say, oh, you're right. Okay, we can do it. Um, Because we've I've talked about it on here a lot. I don't know how much I need to get it. But the Astros had the year before that um, a prospect in their pipeline who was caught on video throwing and hitting his girlfriend down the stairs. That was leaked. It looked bad for the organization. They easily cut ties with that guy. And that guy will never touch a baseball again for the rest of his life. Probably. Easily they did that because there was visual proof. Because there was video of it actually happening. Easy for them to say, nope, goodbye, good riddance. There's no video of Osuna doing this. So that's enough daylight for them to say, well, you don't know. She's not cooperating. So that probably means it didn't happen. I tend to believe it's the opposite. That if someone is so scared of somebody else that they would flee back to their home their home country in which they do not live anymore that to me proves that there's some fear and fear of retribution going on <clears throat> not saying like he's guilty but whatever but like to me I don't look at it that way I don't look at it as like well that's nothing moving on so then the Astros players who all came out so strongly against domestic violence when the, the prospect was found found out and seen and tossed off the team, they created the zero tolerance policy for domestic violence and all this shit. And they go and hire Robert, Roberto Asuna because a win is a win, right? And for a cheap price, you can't beat that. And they all had to eat crow because, well, now what do you say? You can't go against your team. So these reporters that he was also to set the scene, it was in the locker room after they clinched the pennant. Osuna was in another part of the room. He wasn't even nearby. He also, as we said it earlier in the show, blew the save. He did not perform well. He didn't even perform his job decent. He did not do his job. He failed at his job. So there would be no reason to praise the guy. He was also not being questioned. Like, nobody was asking him any questions. And these reporters were just there. And they happened to be people that this guy, Tommen, knew. Uh, one of them, whose name is not really floating around, she would, like, tweet out domestic hotline numbers every time she reported on it, which is kind of standard practice. And apparently, to me, the situation is this guy feels deep down inside shame or guilt or fear, or anger, whatever, towards this person, sees them, they won, Osuna was on the mound, he blew it, I'm the reason this guy's here. Like, all these things just coagulating into, it's your fault, and I'm going to make it your fault. And I'm going to make you feel like shit. Because you make me feel like shit, so how can I make you feel like shit? And I'm not saying he was even cognizant of any of this shit. It's just, like, violent-type behavior. And uh, this is not like, oh, sorry if you were offended. Like, this is literally has been described by multiple eyewitnesses as, quote, disturbing. So when someone says that was disturbing, like, that doesn't mean, oh, this guy was being silly and it was a bad joke. Like, it, it means like, oh, that's unsettling. What are you, like, 
it's the same kind of behavior that you're like, are you going to do something right now? So I can imagine like he's the, 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 one of the reporters, the woman that tweets out about domestic violence was wearing a purple bracelet and, you know, um, cause it's not, this is not to me a woman versus man issue. Although misogyny plays a part. It's literally like you caught me doing something. You've, you've made me responsible for something and I'm not going to take it basically. And then like trying to get something back out of this person in a moment when you feel like you've triumphed over them and it's not personal, you know, but you're making it personal. Um, after the sports illustrated report was published, the Astros issued a statement calling the story misleading and completely irresponsible. And it was Stephanie Epstein that wrote the sports illustrated piece. She contacted the Astros for comment and they refused so they had an opportunity when she was writing the article to say what they wanted to say. And the, so they, they attempted this smear campaign to smear her. And like, she has multiple witnesses, male and female, that corroborate this story that it happened in such a disturbing fashion that it happened at all. Um, and she, I saw her on Outside the Lines and she was just like, yeah, this is what happened. Not with, like, trauma or any, just, like, yeah, this is, like, reporting on it. Because it's a reporter's thing. And also, like, I've seen stories before about where we, like, go after players because they were shitty to a reporter. And, like, all of a sudden, because it's a different situation and domestic violence is involved, like, oh, well, I don't know, or whatever. It's it's creepy. I, I will say that I'm, like, grateful for the amount of people and who happen to be men like speaking out against this. It is unfortunate that I feel like all the men got to still have the loudest voices and they they're praised for like having these great opinions and stuff when like women reporters or like non-binary people like me have literally been saying these things for years and people just tell us to shut up about it already. And now like, Oh, these guys are heroes. Cause like I literally have been saying the suspension for domestic violence should be the same as the suspension for PEDs. 80-game suspension, no postseason. And Ken Rosenthal writes almost exactly as much, and everybody's like, oh, that yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And, like, I'm glad that somebody like Ken Rosenthal is writing articles like this. You should absolutely read it on The Athletic if you get a chance, because I think what he outlines is exactly... I couldn't agree with him more. I think it hits all the points. Um, but it is, like, frustrating, to a certain degree that you're like, yeah, I, I know I'm not the same caliber. I can't be that same caliber because I'm not a dude. <laughs> and so, like, it would be great if, like, I don't know. I know a lot of people that have been like, hey, man, this isn't cool for years. And we've been told to just shut up and it's annoying and dealt with harassment and stuff like that. And now all of a sudden it's, like, convenient and cool to, like take the side of this and like i said i'm grateful that it's convenient and cool and that people are doing it but it's also frustrating those two things are true and this is not about me this is more about the victims of domestic violence um i care a lot more th about them than my own ego but i think the whole thing plays into the whole thing you know you can't like it's you just keep pulling the thread and the thread just keeps coming out there's no it's hard to find an end place to any of this stuff and i mean misogyny is a big root of it you know huh <sighs> so there's a bunch of apologies there's a bunch of conversations all of this is going on during the first two games of the world series and if you want to tell me that this did not affect any of those players in any way possible like i said you can't 
Nobody on MLB Network said a goddamn word about it. It hasn't been on TV in baseball at all. They're totally ignoring it. And it just speaks to like where the brotherhood of all this stuff starts and ends. And the and I say brotherhood because it's specifically the men. And not all the men, obviously, but like if these were male reporters being like verbally attacked in a locker room by a an assistant GM, you think they wouldn't be talking about it? They absolutely would. They absolutely would. Maybe not on MLB Network, but on somewhere else. But it was a it was a literal story for days, and it, not a word. Um, and I said something about that, and some guys like you think uh, Yonder Alvarez was thinking of. I'm sure he was thinking about. I'm like, no, I don't think he's standing at the plate going, "What are they going to do about Tobin?" But like when something is this big, and that's what people are talking about your team for, it it does affect you whether you're conscious of it or not. So. I don't know. Then, uh, okay, so then uh, Tomlin, meanwhile, contended that his comments had been misinterpreted, which is a classic line by people who do shitty things. Like, you don't understand trying to gaslight them and say, like, I that's not what I meant. Um, he claimed that he had been celebrating Osuna's on-field achievements, which also doesn't make any sense because he almost cost them the game. Uh, and it made no sense because the circumstances were that Osuna had just blown a ninth inning lead by surrendering a home run to DJ LeMahieu. It doesn't make any sense. He also, within his apology, was, sorry if I offended anyone. Gotta love that old tune. Um, if you want to apologize, you should take responsibility for you for what you know you did, which is, I apologize for my actions. You know? Um, he also said, like, I'm a husband and a father and progressive. Like, how dare you? How dare you use your family as a shield against this shit? Were they there? I don't think so. And then it was just reported on Thursday afternoon that Tubman has been fired by the Astros. The Astros said in a statement that following an MLB investigation into the incident, the team acknowledged that Tubman's inappropriate comments were directed at one or more specific reporters. The team also issued an apology to Sports Illustrated Stephanie Epstein, who initially reported on the incident. Um, so the dude's been fired, and I jokingly said, do Osuna next. And I just want to be clear that, like, I don't think Osuna gets fired because the problem is that he was hired in the first place. And I think that there's at least an opportunity here to look at those kinds of practices, like being able to hire somebody in the middle of serving a domestic violence suspension for the specific purposes of the postseason, I think is something that should not be okay. Um, I don't think it's cool that uh, domestic abusers are on the mound in the World Series, and he hasn't been yet, but he's on the 25-man roster. And I just think, look, I, I, I think this has brought attention to this thing in a way that I'm fucking grateful for finally because it's been years 2015 there was a domestic abuser on the Mets 2016 there was Chapman on the Cubs 2017 I don't think there was anybody holy shit 2018 Stephen Wright on the Boston Red Sox and 2019 we've got Osuna and Julio Urias was on the Dodgers he didn't make it to the World Series I'm specifying the World Series but I do want to just have my due diligence and say that like a team that I have supported outwardly has somebody that has a domestic violence charge. It's a problem. It's a pervasive problem and they're making it to the top and it, it just cannot be ignored anymore. It just can't. And, uh, 
I just think, you know, I, I recorded a podcast when he was hired in 2018. I was literally interviewing Stacey May Fowles when the incident first happened. And we both were like, shit, you know, like, I don't even know what to, you know, I don't know what to say about it anymore other than you need to do something. And it's not just like paying lip service. Like, <clears throat> these guys need to be in classes. They need to get therapy. They need to be in group therapy. They need to be volunteering, not with domestic violence things, but like actually volunteering. And like, I just go back to the same thing, which is children are watching. They're watching all of this. They're hearing all of this and they're learning about what they can and can't do, what they can and can't get away with, who can do what and who gets away with it, who will help you cover it up, what you'll get paid for. And it's just, it's, it's time. It's just time. And, like, if the MLB doesn't do something about this, they're going to lose, like, their product is going to, they're they're constantly trying to find ways to fix baseball. You want to fix baseball? Fix the domestic violence problem that's pervasive in this sport. That's how you fix baseball. Thanks for being with me in this wild ride of a season. Uh, We got a couple more games left in the World Series in the Washington in the Washington's capital, in the in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., um, the person who claims to be the president of this country says that he will attend Game 5. So I am hoping for something that keeps it from going to Game 5. But the Nationals confirmed that he will not throw out a first pitch for them. Um, and so, like, with that, I kind of say, like, all right, I'll jump on board with these Nationals and happy to do it. Because um, they, they're doing things that I like. They have a... A dude that I love, uh, Sean Doolittle. They don't have Harper anymore with his Harambe bat cap. They don't have Daniel Murphy anymore. They've got some guys that seem to really love each other and love playing with each other and love the game of baseball. They've also got Trey Turner, who made a decent and real apology about some past behavior that was shitty. Uh, Can't really ask for anything more than that. Seems like a bunch of dads with daughters on this team, too. That is something that I really enjoy. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, you can think I'm a fair weather fan or whatever. I don't know. I just love baseball and I love supporting people who seem to love each other and love the game. So, um, it's been really exciting. I'm curious to see what the Astros are able to do now that they've shed some of this dark weight off of their backs. Um, who knows? Maybe they, maybe it, this lightens them up a little bit and they get, they get back into it. We'll see. I think it's still been a very exciting world series and completely unexpected. So, uh, if you like the podcast, let your friends know, uh, rate, review, subscribe. I'm going to be in Denver, uh, November 1st through the 4th at Denver Comedy Works. So please come to that show. I was just there, but I'm happy to be back. So please come to that show. See me do a longer set all weekend. Um, and as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.